How's it going, everybody? I'm Tim Muma, and you've ordered up Scrambled Eggs today. Scrambled Eggs is a more laid-back, entertaining approach to the employment realm, looking at the world from a slightly different lens from time to time. In here, bad is good, and weird is often better. The topic on the menu today, though, the role that perceived attractiveness and physical characteristics may play in the workplace. Admittedly, it's a rather sensitive and complicated subject, but an aspect of our lives that does exist in one way or another. To help guide us through this slippery slope on localjobnetwork.com radio, we have Dr. James Horan. Dr. Horan is a managing director at HVS Executive Search in North America. But even better for the benefits of this topic, Dr. Jim, PhD, is also a veteran in applied psychology research on assessment of peak performance and experiences. So Dr. Horan, once again, thanks for joining us and uh, talking on the show today. Basically, I kind of gave a, a brief rundown of, of your experiences, your, uh, your credentials there, but if you could maybe fill us in on your current role and, and some more specific uh, experience that you've had in the past with this topic and just kind of overall in the employment world. Well, absolutely. I'm part of a group called HVS Executive Search, and that's an umbrella brand. We deal with recruitment compensation plans, and something called talent or performance management. In other words, our business is about finding talent, incentivizing that talent, and then training and retaining the talent. And I have the privilege of working with a lot of companies around the world there in their shops, in the ground, right there with them, where I see a lot of the challenges and the problems organizations have from a team perspective all the way down to the employee level. And so in the course of this work, you kind of take a peek behind the curtain and you see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Hmm. And of course, one of the topics that always comes up is this notion of discrimination and how people's looks affects how they're treated. Sure, definitely. And you know, and that's one reason I, w- I was happy to be able to get you on here, um, just because of some of the stuff you've done in the past that I you know, had the privilege to look at. And that was one area that's touchy for a lot of businesses, obviously. And you, like you said, you get the idea of discrimination. But I guess kind of as a whole, when you're talking about that decision-making for hiring a candidate or just the overall effect that, um, you know, physical attractiveness or or characteristics, however you want to label it, what is kind of the general role that that seems to have and even as, as way back in the hiring process for somebody coming into a company? Well, before I get into that, let me just say that I think everyone probably listening understands the basic principles that sex sells. Sure. It I hope does. so. <laughs> I think, yeah, you hope so, right? I mean, that's just a natural thing. And I think everyone's probably heard of uh, the book called Dress for Success. Okay. So this topic that somehow our appearance really does have an impact on how people see us and treats us, that shouldn't be a come, you know, as a surprise at all. In fact, a lot of research has shown that you know, attractive people, they're perceived as smarter, they're perceived as more successful, seen as more sociable, they're more dominant, and people see them as higher in self-esteem and just mental alertness. Sure. They're generally liked more. People that are attractive, that you know, the general public gives them more information. It's no secret why people asking for donations to charities or when you're walking through the mall, someone wants to give you a survey. These are attractive people making that request because we're more likely to help and divulge personal information to those people. And in the courtroom, you know, attractive people charged with the same crime as less attractive people, they are often found not guilty of the crime. And when they're found guilty, they're usually given more lenient sentences. Mm-hmm. And this is not just something that is socialized in us. There's something inherent. There's something in our hardwiring about this. When, when you look at good-looking faces, it triggers the same kinds of brain networks that are activated when people become addicted to cocaine and gambling. <laughs> I do remember seeing that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's fascinating. And this isn't just something for adults. 
it's, it's fascinating that to me there's been research that shows that even babies, even babies prefer physically attractive faces. So this inherent beauty bias, it's in all of us. And it's probably there for you know, reasons of evolution. Now, that being said, you asked a great question, brought up a great point, and that is, but hey, Jim, in the civilized workplace, we have rules and regulations. Certainly, this kind of bias does not impact the way that we deal with others professionally, especially when it comes to hiring, recruiting, or promoting people. And I would say, actually, it does. <laughs> you know, attractive job candidates whose qualifications are basically similar to people that are less attractive, they're more likely to be hired for the same job. Attractive people, on average, earn more money. Employees with about, you know, above average looks, they earn about 5% more than average looking employees. And employees that are below average in looks, they earn about 7 to 9% less than average looking people. So there really is a hierarchy here. And as a man, you know, uh, I'm aware of this very much because I'm basically 5'10". That's my height, 5'10". That's a good height. And that comes with a penalty. That comes with a penalty. How tall are you? I'm 5'10 also. So I, You're 5'10". Yes. Okay, well, guess what? You're not ready to be hit with the penalty too. <laughs> because men, men of above average height earn about 6% more than people like us that are about average height. Sure. Our penalty is about 4%. And so this bias, this beauty bias is not only in the general public, it's not in our daily lives, it's also in the workplace. And it's there in a very visible way. Sure. Well, and again, I mean, I think anyone listening can tell you, you have a passion for this idea. And I think in part because it's it's foolish, I think, for a lot of people to think that it doesn't exist because on an individual level, every person has those kind of biases. I mean, isn't it kind of what happens in the workplace is still a reflection of everyday life, isn't it really? It exactly is, even though we portray it like it's not. We try to portray the workplace as it's been clinically cleaned, <laughs> you know, the bias, discrimination, all that's been erased because we have government policies and procedures and regulations and rules. But the fact is, we're still dealing with people. Mm -hmm. And people are complex machines, we're complex creatures. And unfortunately, or fortunately sometimes, we have biases. And the question is not, you know, are they there? The question is, what do we do about it? And can we actually make these things work to our advantage? Sure. And before we kind of move forward even with this more, uh, the idea of attractiveness, obviously, I hope people understand that this is a, it's a general idea, but as you kind of broke down and uh, you and Eddie M. Elmer in this article that I had read, that there is a certain ideological beauty or attractiveness, both from the male side and female side. I guess, how would you describe that kind of, um, maybe some of the traits that are seen? And again, most people probably know this in the back of their mind, and, and there are obviously always exceptions, but when we're talking about attractiveness, there is a certain standard or a certain uh, general rating that you guys have kind of followed, wasn't there? Well, there is, and it's not just our opinion. Uh, there's been a lot of research that goes into what do human beings find attractive, I mean physically mm -hmm. attractive, about other human beings. And when we look at why we're attracted to someone just in general, that sort of chemistry or that, that vibe we get when we're next to somebody, whether it's same sex or not, um, about 60%, we estimate, about 60% of that, let's say that attraction or that likability comes from physical attractiveness. The remaining 40% are really due to more nonverbal types of behaviors, the nonverbal cues, the way we carry ourselves, as well as our attitudes. Are we positive people? Or are we negative? That sort of thing. So when I talk about attractive people in the workplace, I mean more than just are they physically attractive. I mean, are they attractive as people sure. in terms of their charisma and their presence? So that being said, you <laughs> asked, okay, what is sort of those 
those characteristics of physically attractive people? Well, some of these probably shouldn't come as any surprise. In both sexes, people that have, you know, clean skin, vibrant hair. In other words, they're admired because they give signs of youth, mm. vigor, uh, good nutrition. These are people that we're attracted to. People that tend to have symmetrical faces and a body. In other words, signs that they have good physical and psychological health and there's no genetic abnormalities. We innately are attracted to those kind of people. For men, um, we are more attractive to men with substantial height. Men that have a square jaw, a wide brow, wide shoulders. In other words, many of these features indicate that a man is healthy and is a good protector. In other words, that notion of a man's man. Uh, for women, um, women that have full red lips um, have a great waist-to-hip ratio. Women that look like, let's just say it very frankly, that would be good for child-rearing. Naturally, we're inclined to find those people more attractive than not. Sure. Um, but by and large, you got to remember that physical attractiveness is just a piece of the puzzle. And most of us, we cannot really, outside of cosmetic surgery or maybe colored contact lenses, this sort of thing, change our physical appearance to some extent. We can maintain our hygiene. We can make sure we dress well. But really where we have a chance to impact above and beyond the obvious is in the way we carry ourselves from a psychological standpoint because that carries a lot of weight. In fact, there's been a lot of studies on just romantic compatibility. And let's just take men, for example, since we're easy targets, right? <laughs> when a man looks at two women, let's say that the man is in a bar, looks at two women. One is a blonde bombshell, which you would think of as the traditional, that classic vision of beauty and desirability. And the man also sees, let's say, the plain Jane, a woman that is kind of like the girl next door. The man is going to approach one of the two women. Which one will he choose? He will choose the one that gives him what we call go signals. It's not always the blonde bombshell he's going to be going for. In other words, it's not just the physical attractiveness, but it's also everything else that's wrapped around it. Mm -hmm. The packaging, not just what's underneath the packaging. So the charisma, the way the woman's giving sort of eye contact, in other words, it's trying to close that psychological distance. The woman that does that more, that gives signals that says it's okay for that guy to advance, that's who he's going to go after. And that same principle applies also in the workplace in our professional endeavors. The more that we carry ourselves in not just a professional way, but an attractive, likable way, that's going to make more connections than people that may look very polished, but come across very cold and distant. Sure. And I appreciate you making that connection there that, you know, again, from the, the real world, so to speak, in, into the workplace. Somewhat with that said, can you maybe give uh, a specific ideas or details on a situation where perhaps someone's trying to sell something, uh, you know, in a face-to-face -face kind of environment, or maybe it's a, a, a team meeting type situation where they're pitching a, a project or they're pitching a certain direction to go. What are the effects there as far as the, the physical nature of how someone looks, how someone acts in that regard, similarly to what you talked about in the, the real world? Well, actually, let's take the presidential campaigns. Okay. Because that's sort of workplace. We are hiring a CEO of the country. Sure. And we get to see these individuals in formal contexts, in other words, behind a podium. We also get to see them mingling out in the crowds. Now, I'm not going to pick on Mitt or, 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 or Barack specifically, but let's just talk about the concept of the leaders that we tend to put more confidence and trust in mm -hmm. because they're selling a brand. They're selling themselves and their ideas. Well, that's a brand. And the same sort of techniques, tactics, and ideas apply to someone trying to sell you on a car 
or some other kind of product or service. So are we more likely to take someone seriously that dresses really sloppily, clothes are wrinkled, they don't look like they've been clean for two weeks, or are we probably going to give more credence and respect and attention to someone that looks like they care about what they wear? It seems like the a answer is obvious. Yeah, pretty easy choice. Right. Yeah. It's a pretty easy choice. But why? Why? Because we're always taught early in life, at least I was, don't judge a book by its cover. Right. And let's face it, there's some great people in history that didn't dress well, probably. <laughs> Gandhi, Buddha, Jesus. I mean, there are some people that have really impacted the world that didn't really care so much about hygiene, probably. Okay, or at least that wasn't the number one priority. Yeah, I'm going to guess now. Now, we're not living back in, you know, second century AD here, but, you know, what is it? Why? Why do you think that that matters to us still? Why? That's why we brought you on here. You're the expert. You fill us in. Well, that's true, but just tell me from your gut. Tell me from your gut. What is it that makes you trust someone more? Oh, I mean, for, in a lot of those cases, uh, we are talking about like president, so to speak. It's just an idea that if you're willing to, you're putting your best foot forward, you're going to take pride in this type of thing. You're going to take pride in all of your work. It just seems like you would relate it to other parts of your, of your life, of your work, of whatever you actually are doing. Exactly. We, we see a little bit of ourselves in these people. We think, oh, wow, they, they must care. They care about how they look. They must care about other things. We generalize. This person's taking themselves seriously. They must take everything else seriously. Mm -hmm. We tend to generalize. In fact, people, we like other people that are most similar to us. So notice when you see on the campaign trails, you see the candidates with their sleeves rolled up, no tie, <laughs> you know, sometimes wearing the local jacket of a high school or something. Right. They're trying to connect with the audience. Okay. They're trying to be very familiar. So we'll make a generalization about them. So when someone is trying to sell you something, Okay, you first, they're going to want to make sure that you think that they're serious, but not at the expense of not accessible. Mm -hmm. They don't want to scare you either. We've all probably had bosses or teachers that dressed very well, and they were still scary. That's because they had a persona about them that didn't make it seem that they were very accessible. They didn't give you any sense of comfort, any sense of, you know, um, like... You could approach them. You could have a conversation. You could actually connect with them and understand them. Sure. So the most persuasive people, they're going to pay attention to their hygiene, but they're also going to be accessible. They're also going to be as if they're not confrontational, but they're there as your buddy, as your friend. And that goes a long way with nonverbals. Now, I said that tall men, for example, and this is actually true with women too to some extent, but tall men are the ones that are perceived as more credible, more powerful. So if someone's trying to sell you something or if you're trying to make a, a point in a team meeting, don't sit down like everyone else. Stand up to make your point. Tower over everyone else. Now, that sounds like a very dominating thing to do, but it's just a smart scientific thing to do. Sure. You know, in fact, you see, I remember the, the, the series, you know, Little House on the Prairie, and I remember the schoolhouse scenes. And whenever the teacher would ask one of the students to answer a question, that student had to stand up in front of everybody else, hmm. sometimes even come to the head of the class. Actually, that was teaching things like self-esteem, and it was teaching a good principle, and that is make yourself known, assert yourself. Those are signs that we find attractive. I don't mean coming across aggressive, but if you were to stand up to make your point and you look, you look well-dressed, you give the illusion of height, and therefore you're going to have an impact of, of height even though you may not have it. Sure. The same token, people that are very influential, these are people that – don't seem to put too much emphasis on their body image. I know in today's environment, we're trying to meet you know, the ideal. Women are trying to be ultra thin. Men are trying to be ultra buff. 
But the fact is, we've all been influenced by people. We've all respected, liked, sometimes loved people that had very different, varying body shapes. Mm -hmm. So obviously, there's a physique that goes with the classical, attractive person. But a person that also comes across comfortable in his or her own skin is going to win the game. If you come across very self-conscious, if you come across as someone that is overly concerned with their appearance, always checking yourself in the mirror, uh, if you seem to lack confidence, if you're always self-deprecating yourself over your appearance, if you don't come across as if you have comfort with people, that's going to be perceived as highly unattractive. And that would be true regardless of whether you're a blonde bombshell or Mr. Buff. Sure. Okay, so attitude, the way you carry yourself, truly does matter. So you want to pay attention to hygiene, but you also want to be accessible. You want to use the principles of, of height whenever you can because you want to take advantage of these biases. They're not always bad. By leveraging these things in the right way, we actually can be more persuasive with people. We can gain more attention. We can be more impactful in what we're trying to sell or what we're trying to say. I think that's part of the reason when I had kind of pitched this idea was, look, these things exist, whether you like it or not. So you might as well have the information. And if you can use it, you know, again, not in any unethical way, but if you can use it, you might as well. And I, I feel like you're kind of saying the same things here is that you might as well use what you have as, as an advantage if it is the case. Well, well, of course. And it's not a bad thing. I'm not telling people to try to go and use your looks to gain advantages. Right, that's, right. that's a very simplistic way of looking at it. It is more about self-awareness. Exactly. How are you coming across? And is it the image you want to portray to people? Because we're all selling ourselves. We're all advertising a message. And we might as well be aware of the messages we're advertising. And if we don't like what we think we're selling, we need to change that. Sure. And we actually can take advantage of some very simple principles. And a lot of those principles, your, your listeners can read in our paper that's available on hvsexecutivesearch.com about things that work with science and work with people's natural tendencies, not to gain unfair advantages, but simply to be more self-aware of the messages you're conveying. And is that what you want to do? Right. Taking it back kind of to, uh, I guess, more of a, a localized idea in some of the other little studies I've seen or research, one had to do with in the interview room and the idea of not necessarily attractiveness one way or the other, but it mentions things like birthmarks, scars, other facial blemishes that those things did tend to put that person at a disadvantage, not because of someone being repulsed by it or anything like that, but because the interviewer was distracted and they would actually remember less about the candidate. Does this sound something that would be true to you that you maybe have experienced or would acknowledge that in just some sort of way, those little things can distract the brain from maybe the things that are more important? Oh, absolutely. And oftentimes these things are factors and variables we're not even aware of. Um, that's, again, anytime you can carry yourself and make a message in a memorable way, mm -hmm. going back to the example of standing when you're making a point in a group, don't just sit down at the same level. You are, in a way, distracting them, but in a positive way that they're going to be remembering. Absolutely. Our expert guest, Ph.D. James Horan, Managing Director at HVS Executive Search, has dropped some serious insight and real-world application to the idea of the role physical appearance and attractiveness plays in the workplace. There's no way we're letting him go after so little time, so please check out Part 2, The Role of Physical Appearance on Scrambled Eggs. Head over to localjobnetwork.com and click on the radio tab near the top of your screen. There you'll find Part 2 of this episode. Also, as always, send us your comments and suggestions to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. This has been a serving of Scrambled Eggs. I'm Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later. Music.